Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. In this edition, Radio Gibraltar listeners put their questions to candidates standing for election on Thursday the 12th of October. The GSLP Liberals were in the studio represented by Joseph Garcia, Sergio Bosano and Gemma Arias Vasquez. But first, independent candidate Robert Vasquez answered your questions. Good afternoon. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having us, uh, for, for being here with us, Mr. Mm. Vasquez. Um, first question comes in from Joey. He says, although your intentions may be good in Gibraltar, as in the rest of the world, fairness for uh, blue-collar working-class people, uh, for those waiting for years on the housing waiting list, fairness for these people does not exist. Well, certainly I don't agree that it doesn't exist. I think there are systems that are not working properly to provide the fairness that they should be providing. And I think that what is needed is some strength of government and strength of administration to ensure that those systems which are intended to provide fairness do work to provide that fairness. But I have to accept from you that you feel... uh, probably left out of that fair treatment and it's that that we have to correct and that people like me and there are not many of us would like to correct but to do that i need to be elected into parliament a question from paul who says as an advocate for parliamentary reform including backbenchers were you pleased about gilbert ligudi's decision in august 2020 to resign from the um, ministers the cabinet of ministers and to continue serving in parliament as a backbencher well my uh, that certainly um, gave some credence to what i am saying but that is not all i am saying uh, because just having backbenchers alone is not enough that is part of the issue there has to be a greater separation of power between parliament and what is the executive government which is the cabinet and that can only be achieved through electoral reform and that electoral reform has to be such as to encourage more people to stand for election more people with different views to stand for election try and force uh, governments to be created by coalitions of different individuals and different parties so that we get a oversight of what the government is doing b more forceful uh, more force to ensure that manifestos are follows followed and more democracy as a result gibraltar doesn't have democracy under the current voting system Okay, we have a question from uh, Bill on who you would prefer to, um, should you be elected into Parliament, who would you prefer, uh, which team, GSD or GSLP Liberals, who would you prefer to work with in government? Were you to have the chance? I, um, uh, that is a question I have given a lot of thought to. I don't prefer either of them, to be honest, but we have very few options in that event. One of them is that a new election has to be called. And if that new election is called, possibly because of what has happened, um, I would be able to gather more people around me to have a party and fight that new election. Now, if 
before that was to happen, I don't need to join either the GSLP Liberals or the GSD for a government to form. I can say that I will support, not join, support the party to form government that will more closely and most closely, if possible, 100% follow my manifesto and do what I think is right, especially in relation to electoral reform, parliamentary reform and the public finances. And were you to be elected into Parliament but as an opposition member, how do you foresee your role in in that scenario? Well, uh, my role is limited by the system that we have, but I would have a voice in Parliament and I will use it, but I will also continue using my voice on my blog and in the press, which the opposition, the GST opposition, have totally failed to do over the last four to eight years. And lots of people stop me in the street and say to me, Robert, you're the only opposition. The GSD is doing very little or nothing. We've, we're taking questions um, for Mr. Vasquez, independent candidate, the only independent candidate at this election, and we're on 266-200, or you can email election at gbc.gi. Uh, a question from Tom, who says, a lot of subjects have been discussed, but not enough has been said about climate change. What priority, in terms of planning and investment, would you give climate change, Mr. Vasquez? Now, obviously, I do mention the environment in my manifesto, and I think one has to be fully supportive of whatever um, means is achievable to allow for a reduction in climate change. But I think apart from doing anything in Gibraltar, because whatever Gibraltar does is a tiny amount in world terms, what our politicians have to do is go out and pass the message to more senior politicians in bigger countries to ensure that they follow environmentally friendly policies. Sam is asking for your thoughts on the many Spanish companies who carry out decorative works in Gibraltar without a licence, without registering their workers, causing a lot of grief to companies who are locally established and who pay their taxes locally. How would you, Mr Vasquez, deal with this? That has a political angle, which is the requirement to bring it to the fore in Parliament, be it in questions or through motions. But the reality is that what has to happen is that those who are engaged in the public service to do that service have the right resources and there are sufficient numbers of them to ensure that they can do their job. And therefore, in my book, what needs to happen is let's have a look at what exists and let's try and improve it. Um, that said, a lot of things are held back by the misuse and the overuse of money in the public domain in the past 25-odd years with the GSD government the GSLP government. So our hands are a little bit tied. Peter is asking, what do you think of the potential of a no-negotiated outcome? Uh, how bad would that be for Gibraltar? Um, in the ongoing uh, negotiations for an EU treaty? Yes. 
Um, I think a no-deal outcome would be extremely difficult for Gibraltar. It means that we will have to go forward in a new scenario where we will need to try our best to ensure that as little harm as possible is done to our economy. How we do that will depend entirely on how Spain behaves towards us in that eventuality. Because right now we don't have a deal and Spain is allowing us full access. If that continues, we don't have a problem. If they start putting in limitations, then depending on what those limitations are, we will have to deal with them as we come. But look, I am a full supporter of a deal that has no sovereignty connotations. And I am hopeful, and I hope that that was what the result will be. And do you agree with the GSLP Liberals that they should be the ones who try to take it over the line? Or do you think that uh, a GSD opposition, perhaps with you, uh, GSD government, sorry, perhaps with you, could get the deal done? Well, if there's a GSD government with me, it's because I support them, not because I join them. I make that very clear again. You're standing as but, an independent candidate, yeah. Yes, but um, look, I think there's a there's a major reality from what I hear and from what information I receive is that the deal is virtually agreed. So at the end of the day, if that is the case, the impact of that on this election shouldn't be great. Now, that the GSLP Liberals have been more engaged over the last four or five years in negotiating that deal certainly gives them an advantage, but it's not an advantage that should preclude the exercise of our democratic rights to vote freely. There's a question from Ben. Uh, ben thinks that the Taxi Association has long been criticised for its service, um, including the inability to pre-book taxis coupled with their pricing. What is your opinion on the current offering of the Taxi Association and would you be looking to improve that situation? And if so, how? I think it is it is a very fraught subject historically with a lot of um, anger having been shown in the past by those who have taxi licences. But I think, it, I agree, it is something that needs to be tackled. And I think it's something that needs to be tackled hand-in-hand hand with the Taxi Association and with persuasion and argument and with uh, uh, finding ways forward that will not impact on the ability of those taxi drivers that we have today to earn what they earn and which will ensure that a service is provided. But in fairness to the GSLP Liberals, they have provided and are providing a bus service that works extremely well. And I think that could lead to need could be improved a little bit. And I think that is a great thing that has been done by the government in the last few years. And at the risk of asking you to repeat something that you've said earlier, um, we're almost out of time, so your, your, your final answer. Why should people vote for Robert Vasquez as an independent candidate? What is your main um, offering to them? Look, my main offering is a, re a revolutionary voice in Parliament. 
I want to push hard for things that I have stood for for 40 years. I want to push hard for a system of proportional representation in terms of the election system. I want to push hard for reforms generally. And, 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 and I want to try and push hard to make sure that our public finances are run on a better footing and that our borrowings are put under control because they are too great. Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Good afternoon to Mr. Garcia, or Dr. Joseph Garcia, Sir Joe Bosano, and Gemma Arias Vasquez. Uh, we've got lots of questions, uh, so let's go straight into them. The first one is uh, actually for you, uh, Miss uh, Arias Vasquez. You've previously spoken about health, says Tamara, but what other portfolios would you be interested in if elected? Oh, That's a all, question from Tamara. First of all, hi, Jonathan. Thank you very much, Tamara, for that question. Um, as you know, we don't know what portfolios um, we would be getting. Um, I think it's a, it's a question of looking at my background and looking at what I've done in the past. Um, so if you, if you think about my career, I'm, I'm a lawyer by profession, um, but I've also been chair of the Federation of Small Businesses. Um, I've worked with the Federation of Small Businesses a lot. I understand their policies. I drafted a lot of the policy documentation. Um, and I've, I've done numerous other things in, in the community. So I've sat on the um, small business board. I've sat on the trade licensing authority back in the day, then the business licensing authority. Um, and I currently sit on the traffic commission. So um, I, I don't know. It could be, it could be anything, really. Okay. Um, there's a question from Nathan. How I don't, I don't mind who takes this. It's not directed to any one individual. Uh, what plans does the Alliance have to tackle the many businesses online who are not licensed? Well, this is something we can take up through the um, licensing system, but certainly it depends on people coming forward and making a report to the relevant uh, authorities and then we'd be in a position to, to tackle that issue. But obviously our detailed plans in, in relation to small business will be laid out in a manifesto which has not yet been published. If we can just pick up on that really quickly. Um, in the new uh, Fair Trading Act that's just come out, there's also an exemption for small businesses. So if you're under a certain threshold, um, and if you're an online business under that threshold, you're not caught. So as, as Joseph says, if you're a large um, business um, and you're trading online and not properly registered, then of course that, that should be captured. But if you're a small business and fall under the threshold, then you, under the new regime, you don't necessarily need a licence. A question from Stephen now. Um, could the Alliance please explain why the treaty with the European Union is taking so long to achieve? Well, first of all, I, I wouldn't say it's taking long. We have to understand that we haven't been negotiating the same treaty since the 2016 Brexit referendum. There have actually been three different phases of, of uh, Brexit. The first one was a package we negotiated in, in 2018 with the United Kingdom, which safeguarded our market access into the, the UK market for financial services and online gaming companies, protected our students by paying home fees instead of foreign fees, and also a reciprocal healthcare agreement with the UK. That was phase one. Phase two then was indeed leaving the European Union, the exit treaty. We managed to achieve that and we also obtained uh, Gibraltar's inclusion in the transitional period. It would have been a disaster if we had crashed out of the EU before the UK crashed out uh, left itself. That was phase two. And the phase we're now in only started in October 2021. So the EU 
it's is a, is a, is made up of as you know of 27 countries they have a huge number of uh, internal bureaucracy a parliament a commission so it took time for that for them to declare themselves ready to talk and it wasn't until october 21 that they do that and there've been 14 negotiating rounds so far and we are confident we'll be able to conclude a treaty with the eu on the future relationship of gibraltar and indeed we are confident we are the only ones who are in a position with the contacts the knowledge to be able to do that Okay, I'll ask the questions that the public uh, puts to us, and you guys can you can take it. Uh, whoever uh, wants to answer the question can, um, unless it obviously is directed at someone. And this one is directed at Miss Arias Vasquez. Chris um, is asking if your recent change of name um, is so that you don't appear next to Robert Vasquez on the election ballot paper. <laughs> no, um, no. There's um, uh, there are. In the Stronger Ink campaign, I quickly learned that there are a lot of people that know me as Gemma Arias. Um, in fact, the very night before I signed the statute declaration um, on, a G- on a GBC interview, you referred me to, you referred to me as yes, Gemma Arias. I, I think I did at the beginning of the election campaign as well. So. <laughs> um, the party leader, Fabi Bigardo, frequently referred to me as Gemma Arias. Um, so I, I took the plunge, and it was something that I'd been debating um, for a while. So I took the plunge, and I called myself Gemma Arias Vasquez um, to avoid any confusion as to who Gemma Arias is or who Gemma Vasquez is. Okay, uh, there's a question here from Carenza who says, um, what are the Alliance's plans for providing for uh, children with special educational needs? Do we need more provision? Carenza's question. Well, the the strides that we've actually taken, that the party's actually taken in the past 12 years is, is quite extraordinary. Um, I, I've got personal experience of this through my son. Um, he's needed um, a special, uh, he's needed speech therapy throughout. Um, is there is there a need for for more provision of speech therapy? Absolutely, speech therapy, occupational therapy, and there are plans to provide that speech therapy, um, whether it's by assistance, whether it's by more speech therapists. Um, but we have to look at this through the prism of the leaps and bounds that the uh, that the GSLP Liberals have made in the past twelve years. Um, for provision of care for children with special educational um, needs, uh, and um, if we look to progress that, then then yes, there is a there is a lot to be done, but there is an awful lot that has been done these past twelve years. Okay, there's a question um, from. Uh, Charlie, who says, uh, following the discussion last night on uh, the uh, on GBC television about, uh, among other things, the Victoria the Victoria Stadium being replaced with a new Category Four stadium, Charlie's asking, can the Alliance please confirm that stakeholders have been involved? All necessary stakeholders have been involved in designing the project uh, that is being put forward at the moment. Uh, well, uh, as you probably know, uh, initially the impetus to get the stadium started, which has been in the pipeline for a very long time but was getting nowhere, was the offer of the uh, savings bank to be willing to make the funding available. And I think as a result of that, subsequently other people have come forward. The funding is now not needed from the savings bank because there are other people there and the position uh, that I took as minister for the savings bank was that we would be willing uh, to do it if it was needed but that we were willing to withdraw from competing with others if the others were approved. That funding in fact has been uh, something that has come forward because 
precisely all the stakeholders that are involved have had an input. Uh, Hem, I think you've been directly involved with that, and I think you can uh, vouch for the fact that yes. there are... It's, a, it's not only stakeholder involvement, it's stakeholder-led. Um, the company that's actually developing the stadium, the developer of the stadium, would be a subsidiary of the, of the GFA. So it's, it's the very stakeholders themselves who are leading this project. And um, in what capacity have you been involved so far? Uh, we've been involved in um, approaching, uh, we've been involved in helping the GFA in approaching the the commercial entities that are now involved, the commercial banks. Um, and we've, I've been speaking to the team, so I've been involved in, we've now announced that, uh, or the GFA announced that um, Nigel Pardo was involved, that Nicolato was involved. Um, so it was a case of uh, putting that team together, assisting the GFA in that capacity. We, we should bear in mind also that the the entire planning process itself involves a consultation with a, a huge number of different stakeholders, not only government departments, but also NGOs and Ministry of Defence and other and other ones as well. And uh, how, how are you guys feeling uh, about that project? Do you think that in its current form it has it has legs that it could proceed? Well, the the, the project is extremely exciting. I mean, if you look at the GFA plans, they they look incredible. Um, and of course, it's important to say, I think there was a focus last night on the fact that um, a lot of emphasis was being put on the development. I think the the emphasis is the stadium and the development around the stadium is just there to fund the stadium. Um, so any profits would be ploughed straight into the stadium and the stadium would be a deliverable of the of the project. But Gibraltar having its own stadium in which international matches can be played. So Gibraltar playing France, Gibraltar playing England is a very strong political message as well as a fo- uh, as well as a sporting message so i think it's extremely exciting and of course it means that we attract uh, supporters of the games uh, and therefore you know uh, we're likely to be with full hotels for a very long time if that happens and liam has asked uh, if so joe you can um, you can confirm the nature of your involvement at this stage if it isn't um, going through the savings bank uh, none, really. I don't play football, I don't look at it, so I, I just was deploying the funds to make sure it happened, because at that point we were uh, approached by the, uh, the the UEFA people who had provided the money for the GFA to buy the stadium initially, and who said that they would no longer be able to give us concessions to use the, the inadequate stadium we had, and therefore we were at a real danger of in future having all the Gibraltar uh, matches that were home taking place in Portugal and all the uh, money that flows from those events finishing up in the Portuguese economy. That's when I got interested. Okay. Um, let's move on to a question from Mark uh, and Brahim. Both of them ask a similar question. Um, what will be the consequences of Gibraltar of not reaching a treaty agreement? Well, first of all, we, we have to bear in mind that we, at the moment, we are cushioned from our departure, from the, in our departure from the European Union because of the unilateral bridging measures Spain has extended at the border in terms of not stamping the passports of red Gibraltar ID card holders. In the situation where Gibraltar is fully outside the European Union, then we need to understand what the consequences are going to be. And one is it will take longer to get in and longer to get out. We can mitigate as far as we can 
in the sense that um, there's a plan to look at e-gates uh, in the installation of a number of e-gates at the border to process people quicker on their way in. That plan is uh, there in conjunction with the United Kingdom government. It hasn't been activated yet, but there, there are details and there are designs already in place. But I think across the economy, we need, we need to understand that because the economy is currently based on having lots of people coming into the border, working in Gibraltar, then going back again, until we are able to change that and tr transform the way the economy works, which is the, the, the work that uh, Joe has been doing in the long term, um, until we're able to do that, this is a situation that we're going to face, which is one where there will be lengthy delays to get in and to get out. Clearly, in other areas, we are already operating as if we were not in the European Union, so in, in, in much of the relationship we have with Spain, for example, in relation to waste and other items, we now operate on the basis of international conventions instead of on the basis of EU law as we used to. It, may, it means we have less rights and we also have less recourse when things go wrong. Are we likely to feel poorer? No, I don't think Gibraltar will feel poorer. I mean, we are very confident we can make the economy work. Whatever happens, the National Economic Plan uh, that Sir Joe has designed says, sets out very clearly that it is, it is designed to be Brexit-proof, and that is, a, that is exactly the work we are, we are working on and the work we're going to deliver if people put us back into government. Steve, the, the 2019 manifesto, we had the only plan that was a pro-Brexit on the assumption that there wouldn't be a treaty because that was not on the horizon. And I think people have to be reminded that we are assuming that if there is a treaty uh, and there is a clause that says we either have to uh, accept at the end of four years a Spanish presence in Gibraltar or the treaty terminates, then the treaty terminates. That is absolutely clear-cut. We're not going to accept that. And therefore, it's always better to be prepared for the worst uh, outcome and hope for the best. There's a question from Stephen uh, about the resilience of the port and um, our management of our waste. And he's asking, Stephen wants to know what specific projects have improved our resilience in the, um, in the event that there is no deal. Thank you for your question. I mean, I, I saw one of the GSD candidates criticise both these areas, uh, the port and uh, waste, which are precisely the two areas where we've actually done a huge amount of work and we've publicised considerably in the media as well. In relation to the port, the, the first thing you'll recall is we managed to organise for a ferry to come in from Algeciras bringing foodstuffs from the United Kingdom directly. Uh, that, that scheme was co-financed with the United Kingdom, but it also needed work on the ground in the port itself in order to provide a ferry ramp where the ferry could actually physically access the port. I mean, it wasn't possible to do that until that was provided. Indeed, that was paid for exclusively by, by the UK government. Also at the port, because we would be looking at more inputs by sea, we have increased the area by resurfacing available to containers for containers to be able to stack, to be stacked and stored. And we've also managed, together with the United Kingdom, I, I add once again, we've, we've also increased the resilience in terms of the number of refrigerated containers that can now be connected. When we came into office, we found, when we were looking at this in detail, there, were, there was only scope for five containers to be connected. Now we can connect up more than 30. So that really increases considerably the resilience of the port. Now, in terms of waste, we've We've also done a huge amount of work because all our waste streams, as you know, go through Spain at the 
provision of, of the rather the exportation of those waste streams elsewhere to the European Union. We've also looked at Morocco, we've looked at the United Kingdom and at Belgium through the United Kingdom. But here locally you will have seen the that at the beginning of last year when the when there was difficulty in processing the new paperwork for our solid municipal waste to go across to Spain. At that time, we, we switched on the shredder, baler and wrapper equipment, which the UK had purchased for Gibraltar at the, to the tune of nearly a million pounds. That helped us to compact the waste that we had available and to be able to store it. And it increased, again, our storage capacity enormously. So resilience is, is better. It's not infinite. There are areas where there's simply nothing more we can do. But we have done a considerable amount of work, both in relation to waste and in relation to the port. Now, continuing one of the stories um, that has had a lot of people talking for the past 24 hours, Charlene wants to know what did the GSLP Liberals do when in government uh, about the what, what she says are scandalous allegations uh, made against Daniela Tilbury and um, why was she appointed Commissioner for Sustainable Development after uh, this um, uh, phone bill incident that the GSLP Liberals have uh, issued a statement on? Well, for, first of all, I think that there's one important lesson to, to be learned from all this. And that lesson is that when you travel abroad, you should make sure you switch on Wi-Fi and you switch off your roaming, because roaming is obviously extremely expensive, particularly if somebody else is the one who has to foot the bill. But um, I, I think, in, if I may answer that more broadly, I recall some, you know, sometimes coming into politics uh, can be difficult. I remember that uh, when Fabian uh, decided to put his name down and became leader of the GSLP, he was subjected to all sorts of accusations, to all sorts of uh, character assassinations, to slurs on his character and on his person at that particular uh, time. And I remember also Sir Joe went through the same thing when, when the GSD was in government, as I have myself. So these issues will come up and um, they've, they've surfaced in this particular way. And um, we now have to draw a line under them. But, but certainly we have to ask for detailed explanations as to why it is that that happened. But you haven't really answered the question of what, to what extent it played a role in your decision to appoint her after that event as well, Commissioner for Sustainable uh, Development. I think that, you know, uh, I don't know whether uh, we should be discussing what a government employee uh, was doing it, but presumably if she feels that she's the victim... She won't mind, you know, the, the, the record of what happened uh, being public. Uh, and the answer is that Daniela originally, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, should have known better, but choked up this enormous bill, and we discussed that in Parliament, and and you know, she was this this you know she she was talked to about that. And then at a later stage, she started having problems at the university with her colleagues and, and, and people not being willing to, to work with her, which ha can happen to anybody. And therefore, the decision was taken to terminate her appointment in the university as a result of an, a number of issues. Uh, and, and she would have been terminated. In, including a bullying claim? She says that she, she made allegations against a, a government minister of bullying. Well, you know, this is all a very subjective thing. One of the things about bullying is that if you are doing something wrong and I tell you off, you can feel bullied, you know? 
but I am telling you that, that there were issues there that led to the termination of our employment, and then uh, we decided in the cabinet that, uh, you know, we wanted to give an opportunity to do something else rather than leave her to try uh, and got a job in the job market. And we effectively created a post for her that never existed. And a job that is no longer uh, feasible to keep going in the constraints that we have when, you know, we have had to make cuts in things that are not absolutely necessary and what she was doing was not absolutely necessary. Darren asks, how is it that the GSLP and Liberal parties have the information that they used in their statement against Daniela Tilbury yesterday? Darren asks, isn't that a huge breach of the Data Protection Act? Well, we we directly haven't been involved in, in this uh, information, but we do know that um, the part, this information was not privy only to the government. There were other entities, individuals outside the government who were aware of what was happening, so it may very, may very well have come from those sources. Annie asks, why are businesses who paid invoices for the Business Improvement District project still waiting for refunds? On, on this particular one, I mean, we haven't been involved directly, but as you know, the the project was commenced and invoices were sent out. Some of uh, some of the entities paid the the bill before the the decision was taken not to continue with it in its present form, and that money has to be refunded. And there is a pledge and a commitment for that money to be refunded, and it will. But it was a, a initially a private initiative, not a government initiative. Government came in to support something that somebody had copied from the UK where the results were dubious in terms of transposing the, the same thing to Main Street as you would if you were doing it in Oxford Street. But, but the government backed it to the tune of 50%? Yes, because they made a case for it and, and they convinced... Uh, I wasn't the one that I had to be convinced. It might have been different if I had had to be convinced. <laughs> I sense that it would have been, <laughs> given that you've called it dubious. Um, but but we heard uh, Vijay Darianani say yesterday that uh, there are plans for the alliance to um, fund uh, a, re a refurbishment of Main Street. That's right. You'll have to wait for our manifesto and for the campaign to, to continue, and these, this will be set out in more detail going forward. Okay, Sammy asks, have we diversified our economy enough? Look, the ability that we have to diversify the economy is not entirely in our own hands. I mean, one of the things that we have done, which very few people seem to be conscious of, is that we've changed in 2019 from having a target of increasing the GDP and we changed from measuring our progress in terms of GDP per capita to capping the workforce at no more than 32,000 and therefore uh, targeting now output per worker. And the targeting of output per worker is linked up to our resilience and to our ability to be self-sufficient. We've got to move into a situation where we need less and less uh, of our supplies of manpower or anything else coming from across the border that can become hard at any time and will become hard at best in four years. 
And therefore, diversifying means finding ways of sourcing things from other places and finding things that we can do here ourselves. And uh, it's difficult then, but have we done enough of it? You, you say well, that no, we've no, done as much as we think, can. I no? don't think... Uh, yeah, you know, we, we started this progress. I mean, people sometimes forget that when you do a manifesto, you are not uh, including in that manifesto all the things that can go wrong. So when we did the manifesto of 2015, we did not include in the judgment that there was going to be Brexit in 2016. So that was a totally new environment. And when we did the, the one in 2019, and it was supposed to get off in January 20, we didn't know there was going to be COVID in February 20. So we would have done more, uh, uh, quicker and cheaper, if those two events had not been there. Major global events. Yeah. Um, let me ask a question. Um, I, I don't know if this is for um, Dr. Joseph Garcia, but um, uh, Paul has asked uh, about the Public Health Act, which he says uh, 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 the firm of a vocal GSLP Liberal supporter has been engaged by the government to draft um, and has invoiced £470,000 up to August this year. And, and Paul is asking, where is that act? Well, this is uh, not an area for which neither Joe nor myself have been re are responsible for. The public health is not, is not what we have. But certainly I am not aware of any of the uh, allegations that you have mentioned, and this would, be, would need to be looked into appropriately. I don't think that uh, I don't think that there's an allegation of wrongdoing. I just think that uh, uh, Paul has sent us the the statistic from the government website saying that uh, there is that's what the invoices add up to. Uh, but he's just saying that he's not sure that the act has materialized. But well, it's an expensive act to put it that way, but uh, I think it would need to be looked at further. I mean, this is not an area that we have uh, we're, we've been responsible for ourselves. Okay. I think this one from John is one that you can take, um, Dr. Garcia. How much government land has the Alliance sold in the past 12 years? And uh, the, part, the second part to that is that John is asking, have we relied too much on construction and development generally? I think we, without construction and development, we need to understand that we cannot, we simply cannot have the way of life that we're used to, where we have you know, free bus service, free student grants, free health service, free education. So there needs to be an element of construction and an element of development. Now, the land the government has sold has, has always gone out to the highest uh, bidder. The east side is an, where we, sim we simply followed the processes and procedures that we found existed in the past when we came into office, and that includes putting the land out. There's also provision in, uh, in, in general policy, both of the government, uh, of ourselves in government and of the GSD, to get space special attention if a project or a use is of a special economic interest to Gibraltar. In, in those cases, there, there have been instances where land has been allocated by direct allocation. For example, the, the Midtown project was directly allocated by, by the previous government. But we, have, but we have tended to be open, transparent, advertised the plots that are available, received the bids, looked at the bids, and then awarded the land to the highest tender. There may have been instances where after after bids have closed, where the, the where those plots are 
as it were, stayed for some reason or delayed for some reason, that somebody comes in with a new offer or a new bid and then we would look at that. But it's always gone to the highest bidder and it's always borne uppermost in our mind has always been the needs of the taxpayer of Gibraltar. We've got a lot of questions. I don't know if we'll get through all of them. I don't think so. But let me just press you for uh, an answer if you can. Can you quantify at all how much land... You, the alliance has sold? The, the, this information is publicly available. I mean, that, there's information which is given in Parliament and data which is published which sets it out. The reality is that Gibraltar does not, have, does not have a lot of land. So some of the land that you see where developments are happening actually not owned by the government. They are owned by private sector developers who sell from one uh, to the other and then uh, then a building or construction happens. The okay. ones that are owned by the government are the ones that we publish, we advertise, then we, we look at the best possible deal for Gibraltar and that's the one we tend to look for. Okay, um, we've got some I, questions coming through. I think on also that, that people need to take into account that the benefit to the economy and, and to government finances is not just during the construction period, but the fact that activities happen because there are... Built, I mean, if somebody is coming from outside, as we get quite frequently people coming from outside and coming in, then we need to be able to accommodate. And it's a very difficult problem, really, yep. because you cannot just have empty buildings waiting for somebody to arrive. Okay. Uh, so, Joe, there's a question here uh, coming through from a caller, uh, which you'll hear in your headphones. Uh, her name is Anna. Mm -hmm. Just a question for the, the young children who don't want to go to university. What is happening with the apprenticeships? So, Joe? Well, the, the system of apprenticeships started way back in 1996 when... Uh, we had the uh, the training center open. We've got at the moment uh, people who are doing construction trades apprenticeships. We've got a lot of people who are being trained on the job. We've got the people who are studying, for example, in an area uh, for people who are not going to university, uh, but there are jobs for those that don't go is in the area of health and care. And in health and care, there's a massive need of labour because we've got an over-dependence on frontier workers, which is a very bad thing if things go wrong and people can't get to their jobs. And th this year we've had, for example, coming out of the university, 17 registered nurses, which are adding to the pool that we had, but we're also at the same time training enrolled nurses and training nursing assistants and carers, which do not require the kind of qualifications that you go to university, but can in fact start at that level, which was a traditional way in the old days, when, when I started in politics, people didn't go to university. They started as a nursing assistant and then they worked the way up the Let ladder. Let me just cut you short there, if you don't mind, Sir Joe, because we've got so many questions. Um, this one from Douglas for you again. Uh, Sir Joe, I'd like to know when do you plan to equalise the age between men and women when they become pensionable? At the moment, it's a five-year gap and you have been promising this for the last two elections and you haven't delivered. That question from Douglas. Yeah, well, it's quite true that, that I've had it for two elections and not delivered. It's equally true that the GSD had it for 15 years and didn't deliver in 15 years. But nevertheless, we're not, we ha it's not that we are not delivering because we want to copy the bad behaviour of the GSD. We've not delivered for a very simple reason. If you equalise when you are in the European Union, then you've got a number of costs that are not there if you are equalizing when you are outside the union because of the fact that people sometimes forget that the statistics that I've recently given on two 
different budget is that the percentage of non-resident pensioners is growing faster than the percentage of resident pensioners. So we've got a commitment to do it as soon as we know whether we still have EU obligations or not It's EU dependent on the treaty. It's dependent on the treaty. Okay, uh, another question. I'm not sure who this is for, but it's from Malcolm. I would like to know what is the public debt of Gibraltar today and how do they propose to reduce the public debt over the next four years? Yeah, well, the public debt is the debt of the government. The, the people in the opposition argue that it is the debt of the government and the debt of companies that the government own. Where in the 15 years that they were in government, that was not the definition they used. We are using the same and definition in, as they did. In so, your definition, what is so owed? The definition is that what is owed. At the moment, we have two elements of debt. The debt we had initially, which we uh, wanted to keep at 300 million, even though the formula that limits the amount of debt is about 800 million, but we wanted to keep it at 300 million. But now it is at nearly 800 million because we got 500 million to deal with the COVID situation. That is not a normal debt that we would normally incur. In fact, without the help of the United Kingdom, we would have been in very, very, very serious trouble because we wouldn't have been able to afford it and we probably wouldn't have had anybody to lend it to us. So what we have at the moment is that the net debt, which is the correct way to calculate that according to the GSD when they were in government, and, and we accept that, the net debt now is about £780 million, of which £500 million is the UK loan. We are committed to reducing that loan in the manifesto. We are committed to not having any additional government borrowing, and we are committed to reducing at the same time the company debts, even though that is not public debt. Okay. Um, there's a question for um, Emma and... Uh, Emma, sorry, Gemma uh, Arias-Vasquez and Joseph Garcia. It comes from Eric, uh, who says that uh, Sir Joe has, in recent weeks, uh, made unhelpful remarks about uh, people with disabilities being... Uh, Eric says, defined by their lack of abilities. And Eric wants Dr. Garcia and Miss Arias Vasquez uh, to, to say what their position is on people being defined by their lack of abilities or not. Um, I think that the record of the GSLP Liberals in the past 12 years stands for itself. Um, there is a Disability Act in place now. There is a policy of everyone being equal. Um, there is so much work that has been done by a Minister for Equality in this area that I think that the the record of this government in terms of disability, disability awareness um, and um, assisting those um, with disabilities stands on its own two feet. And Dr. Well, what's, what's not helpful, I feel, is to uh, distort and uh, what, what uh, my colleague Sir Joe said, although he can speak for himself, and uh, as Gemma quite rightly says, we should be judged on the record, on our record, on the record of the government, and that is an impressive record of inclusivity and of, of provision for people with disability. Okay, and um, 
we're almost out of time. Uh, I think we've got time for perhaps just one or two more questions. Uh, so let's go to uh, Charlene, who says that the uh, GSLP Liberals and the GSD agree that Gibraltar could give a better first impression to tourists. Why has the GSLP Liberals not done more on this in their 12 years in government? No, I think a considerable amount has been done. I mean, there, there are we provided, for example, new tourist sites uh, up the rock, and those were the first sites that came in in a long time. We provided new hotels, the Holiday Inn Express and the Sunbourne, for example, did not exist before we came into office, and those were two that, that increased the number of hotel beds available to tourists. But if what the reference is to the entry point at the border, and one of the things which actually delayed the project, which uh, my colleague, uh, Minister Darinani, announced uh, recently, is the fact that we were waiting to see what would happen with the treaty. Because then that would mean whether we were put in the gates or we didn't put in the gates. And in all fairness, that delayed what we wanted to do at the border until we knew where we were going in one direction or another. We've now found a way of combining the two. But I think a considerable amount has been done uh, for tourism. I think it was unfortunate. We went through a global pandemic, as did the entire planet, and that reduced the number of tourists available everywhere and the amount of money to go around. It's very good to see Gibraltar <coughs> is now recovering. We have a, a considerable number of tourists, the numbers and the figures are up across the board, and we hope we continue that. We were certainly committed to continue to develop uh, and expand our tourist industry. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand.